Green Divas and Green Dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Hey, and thank you so much for tuning in to Fifty Shades of Green Divas. This is our first of the new season. Yay! 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 Yay. Woohoo! <laughs> and wow, do we have a lot of great shows for this new year planned for you. Uh, and we have a great show today planned for you. Definitely. But first, I'll just tell you that I'm Green Diva Meg. Um, Green Diva Max. And we are here. Today, we thought we'd talk about something we probably both need. Everybody needs it, right? Right. But ecotherapy is a thing. It is. And it is. In, and and, and it's, I'm glad that it's it's taken its place in the field of psychology because... Right now, we're all cuckoo bots. <laughs> right? We, we need we need, you know, we need help getting through all the insanity. So, know. I mean, one of the things that's recently happened and you can go look for it to get details is the Yale program on climate change uh just did a poll on climate change called Climate Change in the American Mind. Uh and it had some dramatic spikes in people's understanding and belief that not only is climate change real, but humans are likely the the cause of it. And of course, this is beginning to concern people in a way that is having an effect. Uh, the majority of Americans do believe in climate change, five to one, according to the survey. Mm. And 62% of the public now understands that humans are the primary cause of global warming. You know, there's always the people that are like, well, it's just a cycle. It's a natural cycle. Right. But if you've uh, ever seen the charts done by NASA mm-hmm. or any of the other scientific organizations, yeah, it goes up and down every 100,000 years or so. But then it spikes way beyond anything that's ever happened in the past, right around 1900 when we start with the, the industrial, industrial Revolution. Right. Many people who now do finally believe, you know, the climate is in trouble. Uh, The news of countless weather-related disasters and other climate change consequences, uh, like the disappearing polar ice caps, is very troubling if you, you know, think about it. It's it's horrific what's going on, and no one kind of realizes it. In fact, sometimes all the news can be downright frightening and a bit disheartening, I'd say. Uh, so, you know, for many of us that love the earth, the wonders of nature and wildlife, and we want to see the human species continue in relative peace for future generations. <laughs> I mean, it's I, a lot to ask for. Well, but, hey, you, you know, you have grandchildren. I have great nieces and nephews, and I'm just worried about them and, and what's going to happen in, in the future. Uh, and we don't want to, you know, lose hope. Because uh, people are experiencing actual depression, uh, which is a reality that we're all facing right now. Right. About many things. But, of course, now there is a category for climate depression. 
So it doesn't take a shrink to know that Mama Earth needs therapy, too, as, you know, her inhabitants have not treated her well, and she is a little damaged. Let's face it, we probably all need therapy. So maybe ecotherapy wouldn't hurt. And yes, as we said, there is such a thing as ecotherapy. There's also a real category for climate depression. And you know, there is also such a thing as climate change denial. And there's <laughs> climate psychotherapy to help with all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this, is, this stuff's happening. So not only are the scientists on the front lines of the climate crisis getting seriously <laughs> depressed, many ordinary citizens are feeling overwhelmed and somewhat perilous in the face of all the frightening news about climate change and the environment. I mean, I myself, as, as a person who messages, you know, about the environment, and Meg, you know, mm-hmm. we, we sometimes look at each other and go like, how do we get through this when yeah. we get all this material that we're reading and it just, <laughs> you, your brain just starts to fry a bit. So with that, in this episode, we want to explore climate change, depression, ecotherapy. Yes, it's a relatively new area of psychology. Um, the psychology behind climate change denial and how nature itself can provide healing for some of these issues. And I'm going to go through a quote here attributed to Lester Brown, founder of the Earth Policy Institute. And uh, he stated that, quote, a sustainable future means reinventing psychological healing as if the human nature relationship matters. And I want to kind of clarify when you say human nature, it's not human nature as in describing the adjective. It's the human slash nature relationship. Right. And uh, that that that's really pretty powerful statement. So, I want to take a moment here to tell you that this GD podcast is brought to you by the NV Heater. And that's E N V I. The NV Heater is a super efficient wall-mounted electric panel heater that looks great in any setting and heats up a room in just minutes, costing only 4 cents per hour to run. The Envy Heater is a great product for people looking to reduce their carbon footprint and their budget, <laughs> their expenses. Uh, safety is a priority. They're great for homes with small children and pets because of their cool-to-the-touch design. It's easy to install Envy, and you can do it yourself in just a few minutes. So have more heat when and where you want it uh, and spend less money getting it with Envy Heater. So also before we move on, and please stay tuned because we have some really wonderful voices that will be chiming in with us, including Marielle Hemingway, Dr. Ed O'Malley, uh, Rolly Montpellier. So please interact with us on social media. Find us at, uh, at 50 Shades of GDS on Twitter and Instagram at The Green Divas all over the place and of course on Facebook under The Green Divas and at TM Shades of Green. Yes. You can also say to Alexa or Siri, please play The Green Divas podcast and you yeah. will and they will come out and go, yeah, you know, you're the Green Divas. And by the way, we're going to be on Pandora as well. Ah. So we're Spotify, we're all over every platform that you might find a podcast, you will find the Green Divas. So get your green on. 
So what is climate psychology and ecotherapy? What is it, Max? Legendary cultural historian Theodore Rosak observed that over the past decade, and this was 1989 to 1999, so this is a little on the way back machine. Oh, that's so last century. Uh, so, so, so 20th century. <laughs> uh, an increasing number of more adventurous psychologists have sought to create new ecologically relevant forms of therapy. Psychologists are finally, if belatedly, responding to the influence of the environmental movement, which is yeah. very important. Yes. I, I mean, it's just, uh, he knew it but then, and, and now we really are starting to put it into practice. Right. Um, Linda Bazell, author of the book Ecotherapy, Healing the Nature in Mind, she wrote an article for the Huffington Post in 2015, and she stated that, Psychology almost mostly ignores humanity's psychologically dysfunctional relationship with nature that results in the ecological behavior that is causing global catastrophe. Right. Uh, in spite of abundant scientific information about the shocking effects of human actions on planetary ecosystems, our own life support systems and the life support systems of countless other forms Few psychologists concern themselves with the task of helping us understand or change that behavior. Luckily, this seems to be changing. Yay. So I say <laughs> we can deduce that ecotherapy has become a bona fide area of psychology. The positive effects of nature on one's soul cannot be overlooked. Climate change is having a profound effect on many people. Those in the field of sustainability are suffering from various forms of depression as protecting, uh, protective regulations get rolled back. Storms are more intense, and the globe is getting warmer. Even though you might have an ice storm, mm -hmm. you know, that's <laughs> weather, not climate, folks. Right. We refer to our show about climate versus weather. Climate versus weather. We'll, you know, go back in the archives and find that show, and you'll get a little bit more on that. Fossil fuels continue to be the major source of energy, and we cannot seem to stop charging our power-sucking devices, <laughs> which is adding to the problem of carbon emissions. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is something, you know, that we really need to focus on. It is. And I'm really – she talks about in the article uh, in the first paragraph, which got my attention, that the connection between the environment and nature, the human connection. I think when people realize that the beautiful lake or the mountains or the, the forest that they, they want to camp in, that those things are being threatened because of this. When they make that connection and they feel that – sense of connectedness to all these different, you know, the trees and the mm -hmm. wildlife, whatever, you're less inclined to trash it. Well, my right? my, my uncle Mal, may he rest in peace, as they say. Hey, Mal. He was an, uh, an avid fisherman. And mm -hmm. he would take my cousin to Alaska to fish and get salmon. And about 20 years or more ago, he noticed and said to my cousin, something's really off. Mm -hmm. The salmon... This is not right. The, 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 the waters, the salmon themselves, they're off. Something's wacky. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when, I, when, when my cousin told me that story, I went, it's not surprising. 
you know, that, that he would connect to that. He was very right. natural. And, and, you know, so stuff's going on, and we are not conscious of it enough, but I think it's starting to change. Yeah, it is. I think so. So uh, Dr. Ed O'Malley specializes in ecotherapy because he believes in the power of nature to heal and understands that many people in today's culture are disconnected from the natural rhythms of Earth. Okay, hi, I am uh, Dr. Ed O'Malley. I do some ecotherapy work with clients. I'm seeing clients and I try to help them sleep and find that one of the best ways to do that is to go out in nature or recommend taking some nature walks because so much of the healing takes place out there. So ecotherapy is recognizing that nature is the great healer of the world for us. And if we can allow people to get outside or encourage them to get outside, take a walk, or find some natural location in which they can experience being outside and outdoors in the natural world. They find their problems become less so. But many people come in with just having difficulty managing their lives in today's world. And certainly there's no lack of stress. And coupled with the climate disruption that we're experiencing all around us, Uh, There's a lot of emotional and mental stress, both associated with living in 21st century Western society uh, and specifically in the natural world. There's no question we're seeing an increase in the uh, anxiety around climate disruption and the changes we're we're all experiencing. Now, you know, the climate scientists knew uh, way before we did because this is what they study in their confronted with these dramatic changes they're seeing every day. Now the regular, the common person in the world is seeing it through the disasters, the extremes and climate changes we're seeing, and in their own personal experience of of just noticing things are different now. You know, the temperature swings, the, the wild and crazy storms we're experiencing, the amount of damage associated with with these storms has really gotten us uh, worried that we've crossed some line, you know, we've, we've passed the tipping point. So Max, what is climate depression or climate anxiety? Well, we have to ask Mel Brooks when he did his movie, <laughs> High Anxiety. Yeah. Well, now it's Climate Anxiety. Right, right, you know, right. Maybe get Mel into it to see if he has a song for that. It's real. There is climate depression and climate anxiety. I have it. Meg has it. Everyone I know has it. Yep. Uh, in some cases, it is specifically fear and uncertainty after a catastrophic storm event, fire, or earthquake. People surviving those events have been traumatized. Really, horribly. And they worry about recovery uh, and where and how to get help. Property damage, loss of lice, and li- not lice. <laughs> then maybe there's lice in the. Uh, actually, what? loss of lice is what? a good thing. Yeah, well, actually, you know, insects are going away, so uh, uh, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other show. <laughs> but property damage, 
loss of life, and everyday normal routines are shattered, and it is taking a toll on the psyche of those most affected, as well as the general populace viewing the news of what occurred in the areas near or far from where they live. NBC News uh, had, had an article. Uh, it said, last year, the American Psychological Association issued a report on climate change's effect on mental health. The report primarily dealt with trauma from extreme weather, but also recognized that a gradual long-term changes in climate can also surface a number of different emotions, uh, including fear, anger, feelings of powerlessness, or exhaustion. Yeah. Uh, it's really, I resemble that. Yeah, me too. I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, just my, my family lives in California. I mean, I know, Meg, you were there when fires were burning and that campfire was the worst disaster in California. In on record, actually. So it's, you know, when you see that, you can't help but get depressed, you know. Well, and I think of people like Harriet who are on the front lines, some of our friends that are very activist and doing amazing work. It is exhausting. And I think she's energized and, and she'll talk about it. But, you know, many of these folks, when you talk to them, and sometimes it's us, mm-hmm. we're energized and excited. But there are times when you just get run down and you feel like powerless, and that exhaustion sets in, says this is like hopeless. But that's not most of the time, thank God. Right. I mean, because there are things on the horizon and things that can be done to, to, to resolve situations and maybe prevent this in the future. So, of course, if you are on the front lines, like the many climate scientists and environmentalists and activists, these issues are a greater threat we did a whole show on climate depression and talked with climate change activist Rolly Montpellier, uh, who is the founder of Below Two Degrees. For me, anyways, uh, for me, the, uh, the antidote to depression is my activism. But that said, uh, I came across this article in, by Dar Jamal, and he's a Truthout staff reporter. And he writes in his article about, uh, and the title of the article is Mourning Our Planet, Climate, Climate Scientists Share Their Grieving Process. And he compares his own experience uh, where he's been suffering from depression, from the type of work that he does, and he compares uh, the uh, his, uh, his situation with... Uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, five stages of the grieving process. And, you know, when you, when you look at the five stages, one is denial, anger, uh, one is depression. And so that's kind of a very, it's a very appropriate comparison. Um, so I, uh, I, I've come across some interesting, interesting research as I've, you know, tried to get ready for this, uh, this program. Uh, but he mentioned it, and I agree that, this does not come, uh, you know, without emotional consequences, uh, this kind of work. And for me, uh, I can't think, and I've had a long career in, you know, public service and public administration, and uh, I cannot think of any work that I've done that has been more emotionally demanding than yeah. this kind of work. Did you know that enough plastic is thrown away each year to circle the Earth four times? 
In the Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Plastic doesn't biodegrade, at least not in 500 to 1,000 years. Between the islands of plastic, the size of countries floating around in the oceans, and the negative effects of it on wildlife and humans, we need to find ways to reduce and reuse plastic. So say no to plastic bags. Remember to bring your reusable ones when you shop. Recycle whatever plastic you can. Too much recyclable plastic ends up in the landfills. Extend the life of plastic items by finding clever ways to upcycle and reuse them. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. It's time for Silly Science Facts with G.D. Meg. man we're back doing the silly science facts and hey since the theme of this show is ecotherapy and has a therapy you know taste to it let's get into something a little different how about cow therapy you know we did a lot of things about goats but now uh, move over um move over goats <laughs> so first they were therapy dogs in, in, in like local schools and places, you know, in nursing homes and, and other areas where these dogs are amazingly and they help people. Um, and then there were yoga goats on local farms. Goat, goat yoga seems to be a thing and it helps people, you know, calm down. Now, a herd of dairy farm cows has gone back to school to help college students de-stress before their tests. Really? Yeah, pretty pretty cool. According to an article in People magazine, the well, land then it must be true. It must be true. It's got to be true. But it was also they stated that the Lansing State Journal reported on a new program at Michigan State University allowing students to brush dairy cows to chill out during final exams week. Andrea Mead, farm manager at the Michigan State University Dairy Cattle Teaching and Research Center. She's there's mouthful. That's it. Had been looking for ways to get students outside the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources aware of the dairy farm. Mead was also particularly keen on finding a new way to utilize the herd. I've been following other trends in agriculture like goat yoga <laughs> and wanted to see if any MSU students would be interested in a similar experience. Fifty students participated in the program, including MSU undergrads as well as a few Ph.D. candidates. She says that the animal group consisted of 35 cows ranging in age from 2 to 10 years old who were specially picked out for brushing sessions. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, it's like when you brush your Could pet. Could someone just come brush me? I'd love to be brushed. <laughs> you know, our doggies love it. I mean, Sparky and, and, and Gracie, they love to be brushed. Uh, so Mead explained, uh, we had Christmas music playing, and all of the students remarked how much they had enjoyed getting to meet the cows. And the cows very much enjoyed, <laughs> you know, the event as well. Happy cows. What could be bad? Uh, social grooming is an important natural behavior for cows. Uh, you can always tell when a cow is relaxed because she will be chewing her cud. Uh, rumination mm. is cut chewing. Uh, is when the cow regurgitates the food she has stored in her first stomach. Cows have four stomach compartments. 
um, chews it and actually starts digesting it. We always look for cows that are chewing their cud as a sign that they are relaxed and feeling safe and comfortable. Many of the visitors got to see this as they brushed. Many of the cows were so relaxed, they laid down and took a nap. (laughs) So that is completely awesome. So move over, therapy dogs and therapy goats, and make way for the cows. Another Silly Science Facts with Green Diva Max. So, Meg, what can we do? Right, not being a cow, what kind of therapy is available to us and what you mean? Forest bathing, of course, is something we've been reading about, and that is all about immersing oneself with nature. People are starting to realize that climate change is greatly affecting the landscape, oceans, the atmosphere, which is becoming more polluted every day. It's not just the weather, folks. Shinrin-yoku is a term that means taking in the forest atmosphere or forest bathing. It was developed in Japan during the 1980s and has become a cornerstone of preventive health care and healing in Japanese medicine. Researchers primarily in Japan and South Korea have established a robust body of scientific literature on the health benefits of spending time under the canopy of the living forest. Now their research is helping to establish Shinrin-yoku and forest therapy throughout the world. So the idea is simple. If a person simply visits a natural area and walks in a relaxed way, there are calming, rejuvenating, and restorative benefits. I had a chance over the years to speak many times with Marielle Hemingway, who has become definitely a green diva. She's green. She's very green. and, And I would call her somewhat of a friend. But she wrote a book few years back with her partner, Bobby Williams, called Running with Nature, which is all about how nature has helped her uh, and has been a very powerful healing in her experience dealing with the mental illness of, you know, genetically through her family and helping her to stay healthy and strong. So I I have been and I am and have been an advocate for mental health for many years now. I mean, it sort of happened to me by accident, but I realized that my family dynamic was a little bit nuts and I had to do something about it. And then I realized, oh, dear, that <laughs> this is what I am. I, I'm going to be out there as a voice for people that feel unseen and unheard in the world of mental health. And, and there's this sort of thing that happens with people um, when they hear about mental health, they get a little scared because everybody sort of not everybody but a lot of people tend to think that the head and the body are disconnected and that misunderstanding of the connection between mind and body and the reason why I'm bringing this up is that it's a full connection to nature because body our body mind spirit nature I think nature and spirit are really they really coincide and that that is so so much a part of our mental well-being so I am a I'm also kind of one of the representatives of uh, Harvard's psychiatric hospital McLean, the McLean Institute 
And when they asked me to be sort of an advocate for them, I was nervous. I said to them, look, I'm, I'm not a big advocate of pharmaceuticals. It's just not my thing. It's, a, you know, it's not that you can't be, but that's not my thing. And they said, look, we realize after years of pushing the pharmaceuticals on people, we're starting to realize that it's much more than that. So 200 years ago, or rather 1811, when they opened their doors, they didn't have psychopharmaceutical drugs. All they had was nature, food, having a job, getting uh, spirituality, and there's one other thing. But nature was such a big part of that. Now, when I talk about food and oh, and movement, when I talk about food, exercise, and all of the other things that kind of are part of the mental balance, I always think of those things as it correlates with nature. Like uh, to me, to go out and exercise and not do it outside, I mean, we do it once in a while, we go into a gym, but to go outside, to be in the outdoors, to be in nature, that is so far more profound for the body-mind-spirit balance than anything else you could do. Food, of course, real food comes from nature. You know, when you eat organically, when you eat healthily, that is that is a piece of nature. So for me, nature is just such a, it's kind of the central primary factor of, of everything that we do. So, as always, we do love to close our shows with a couple of meaningful quotes, maybe some wise words, sometimes a song, but this week it's no music. Sorry. For those of you that really enjoyed our singing in the last one. Next time. Uh, Anyway, so Max, you, you kick us off. Marcus Aurelius was a philosopher in one of the good Roman empires, and this is dating back to 161 to 180 A.D., when he was the Roman emperor. And he said, Dwell on the beauty of life. Watch the stars and see yourself running with them. I love that visual. But but imagine when this was said, how long ago, how he appreciated nature Mm -hmm. uh, through all the... Of course, he could probably see the stars better than we can. That's a whole other show. Yes, (laughs) that is because... (laughs) So John Muir, of course, who most of us have heard of, famous naturalist and environmental advocate, uh, if you will. Thousands of tired, nerve-shaken, over-civilized people are beginning to find out that going to the mountains is going home, that wildness is a necessity, and that mountain parks and reservations are useful not only as fountains of timberland and irrigated rivers, but as fountains of life. He wrote this in 1898 when he's talking about nerve-shaken and over-civilized people. So you can imagine how much more we need this now. You've been listening to The 50 Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and The Many Shades of Green on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. 
You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com. <laughs>